Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Some of you weren't here last week. Shame on you. Oh, wait. I mean, no, no. That's, that's another story. For, for those of you who were here last week, you know that we're working on this excellent book of Pam Grout's called E-Squared. And we're doing something a little different this month. You know, we, we claim to be that place where uh, science and spirituality come together. And this week, we're actually straying over onto the science side of things for a change. So I think we're, we're having some fun. Last week, as you know, your, your homework, in fact, was to prove to yourself the very existence of God itself. And, and I have checked in with a few of you, and that was a, a, a fun experiment. I shared my results uh, uh, during the sermon last week. This week, though, it, if we have proved to ourselves the existence of God, then how do we interact with it? And so this week we're going to be talking about our interaction with that field of possibilities as Pam Grout talks about it. And in fact, uh, one of the places I want to start is with Einstein. Um, and uh, oddly enough, I managed to find sort of a joke. Now, now this is one of those things. So, so you know the internet, you can find everything, right? In fact, a bunch of stuff you don't even particularly want to find, <laughs> you can find. This one was purported to be something that actually happened. Um, you know, I'm the skeptic, but it's so funny I wanted to share it anyway. A six-year-old boy spotted Albert Einstein walking down the street and decided to try out his favorite joke on him. Mr. Einstein, Mr. Einstein, why did the chicken cross the road? To which the famous physicist replied, my young fellow, the question does not have a definite answer. Whether the chicken crossed the road or the road crossed the chicken, it's entirely relative. (laughs) So maybe, do you think? See, I think it's made up, but it's still cute. So why Albert Einstein? Everyone familiar with his famous equation, E equals MC squared. We're going to talk about that in church today. And you might say, well, why on earth are we talking about the theory of relativity? Why are we talking about E equals MC squared in church? It actually has a real important part here. And let me go over the formula with you. So the E is energy, the M is mass, and C squared is the speed of light squared. So the actual formula is energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Now, some of you are still going, okay, Larry, that's, you know, fascinating. (laughs) But but why does it belong here? The reason it belongs here is you've got a couple interesting things on both sides of the equal sign. You have mass on one side, and you have energy on the other. And the reason this is important is it because... We think of ourselves as though we're something different from God. We, we view these bodies, these mass-filled bodies, as, as somehow a different kind of thing from the, the energy and the love and the light that we think of as being part of the divine creator of all things. And I'm here to tell you, science has proven that mass is simply potential energy. 
So the, the energy within your body, and you may not think of you as an energetic being, but gosh, anyone who's been to an acupuncturist, anyone who has had their prana moved or sat with a yogi before, you know in a way that we're filled with energy, and Einstein is proving it. The theory of relativity actually states that matter, this, this bulky, well, some of you aren't quite as bulky as I am, but, but the, these bulky uh, time capsules that we run around in are potential energy. In fact, I have a science quiz for you, pop quiz. How much energy, if all of the energy in a human body, let's say an average human weighs about 130 or 140 pounds, if an average... <laughs> Oh, that's right, we're in America. <laughs> so if the average human weighed 150 to 170 pounds, there we are, all right, now we're cooking. How much energy would be released, if it could be released all at once? Five times the atomic bomb that was initially dropped on Japan. Five times an atomic bomb is, is stored within the electron and valencies within the, the cells and the atoms of our body. We are truly made of energy and powerful energy. And one of the first things we did in this uh, book for this week is an energy experiment. Now, I gotta tell you, some of you are gonna look at me like I just, <laughs> right, Sharon? Sharon's looking at me that way. Like I just went round the bend, but the energy, <laughs> But the, and maybe I have, but, <laughs> but we'll be the judge of that as a team. So I, you know, I'm one of those people that really likes to prove things. And whether you believe in an aura or whether you believe in chi, whether you believe that, um, you know, we have other energetic sources in, in our body, it has pretty clearly been shown that the idea of, a, of some kind of an energy field that extends beyond our skin does exist. It's been, it's been photographed, it's been studied, it's still a little mysterious in terms of how it works, but they have been able to actually photograph using different kinds of lenses and sensors uh, a person's aura, if you like, or, or their energy field grow and expand. And what this particular experiment is doing is allowing you to sort of prove to yourself that it exists. Now, you might wonder where I got this elaborate scientific uh, 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 device, and, and I will do not much more than just say uh, <laughs> that you have the capability of building your own if you have a, a couple of hangers and a soda straw. So here we go. Uh, and Pam Grout's very upfront about this in the book. She says, be prepared for this to take a couple hours to learn how to do this. Because you're actually teaching yourself. Part of it is when you initially, and this was true for me yesterday, I spent about three hours working on this, and for about the first hour, it would just, it would just flop around. It would just be like this. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, Pam Grout, thanks a lot for uh, assigning this to me, right? You know, as the hours are ticking by. And so the first little bit of it, and, and I finally have, I think, mastered it, is to just have it go steady. The second part of it is to begin influencing it. And this basically attempts to measure the size and the intensity of that energy field. Now, I, you're gonna participate in this. Because we know that love is expansive, I would like everyone in this room to recall the feelings that go with someone you love very much. 
you can go ahead and, and look at the little tuning fork thingy or whatever it is if you choose, or you can close your eyes. But I would like everyone in the room to begin visualizing in their own heart someone or something that they love very much. And just hold that, if you would. Intensify it as though maybe that person was sitting right next to you. So that was about three hours of labor for me to like actually work on that. And what I have discovered is it actually works better in a crowd. We have expanded love into the world and even a coat hanger can tell. So, uh, so first of all, for this week, if, if you want to do the experiment, honestly, it's just two pieces of coat hanger wire and a straw, but do prepared, as Pam Grout says in the book, that it will take about an hour for you to actually physically learn how to hold it so that dust doesn't flop around. You hold it about 10 inches to a foot from your chest, just below eye level, and the initial part of your experience will just be, well, how do, you know, how do, I, keep it, uh, how do I keep it still? Then, if you're like me, the doubting Thomas, you'll spend another hour trying to convince yourself that you either are or are not influencing it by shaking it or through your hand, right? Because the doubting Thomas is here, right? It starts, it starts having an effect, and you're like, oh, that can't be that. It must be that I'm shaking it or wiggling it. And so, so you'll spend about another hour. I'm sure that's why the experiment takes two or three hours, uh, because part of it is just learning how to hold the thing as steady as you possibly can. And then you're going to spend some time uh, messing with your own brain over how and why it's working. But I got to tell you, it works. So give that a try. If you would like to prove to yourself that you have an energy field that can affect things outside your body. Now you notice I've said this in a very precise way. Because what do we believe in the science of mind? That if we have thoughts, if we have beliefs, if we have an interior energy and intention about ourselves, that that can affect outside things, things outside of your body. And so perhaps what we're measuring here is not only some literal form of energy, but also that power of God, that creative power of God in the universe. And Pam Grout calls it the abracadabra principle. So we're gonna talk a little bit about what might appear to be magic, but I tell you, I think it's no more than putting the right kind of energy out in the world. You know, one of the things we say in Science of Mind is that which we put out will be returned to us multiplied. Or, or sometimes we'll say, what you focus on expands. And so my belief, and this fits right in, of course, with Ernest Holmes, the founder of Science of Mind, is that when we put out an energy of love, it is expansive. When we put out an energy of, uh, uh, of I don't know, uh, um, competency or joy, or, or you name it, whatever the energy is that we're creating in ourselves, it, of course, extends outside of our bodies and draws more like energy to it. And I gotta tell you, if you have a whole room full of people directing a very similar energy that, like we did with the idea of love, it's as though, and have you ever been in a room when the energy shifted suddenly and it's like suddenly, you know, something goes from, uh, I don't know, maybe fear or a little bit of confusion to something that's elated? 
that's what you're experiencing. It's not some trick. It's the actual energy in the room. So, so how can we begin using this? Well, first of all, are we even aware of the energy that we put out? See, I think most often not. We just think of ourselves as being the way we're being. And in fact, that's one of the, the dangers of this whole thing is there's a, a kind of an entropy to us. There's a kind of same old, same old energy about us. When we go about our day, when we're at work, when we're interacting with friends, we're pretty much always the same and we're probably putting out the same kind of energy, the same perhaps even mixed kinds of energy. Because I want to tell you what would be fun to do but we would have to sort of set it up ahead of time is we would do that same experience and I would have half of you imagining some fearful activity while the other half did the love thing. And my guess would be those little tuning fork thingies would just stay where they are. It'd be like, well, what do I do? I've got love and I've got fear, right? And so when we have those mixed emotions ourselves, when we have our, our own mixed energy that's being put out there, it's not surprising that sometimes we have a great difficulty in changing our lives. It's that, it's that entropy of wanting things to change, but yet not really being able to accept them. Well, uh, one of the other things that I want to talk about this today, and it's kind of an extended metaphor, um, is anyone here familiar with the Lentz neighborhood in Portland? So those of you in particular that are maybe realtors know that it's a difficult neighborhood to sell houses in. The crime rate is a little bit high. There's a, a little bit more of a gang presence in the Lentz neighborhood. The property values haven't risen as high as they have back up into some areas in town. And although there are some lovely, you know, lovely homes and lovely places to live in that neighborhood, most people would agree not the most desirable neighborhood in town to live in. What if we wanted to move somewhere fabulous? Let's for in our mo just for a moment. Let's imagine like the I don't know, and I don't, and I hate to use the word hoity-toity, so because <laughs> it's probably not even a word, right? <laughs> but let's imagine ourselves moving to the maybe the most glorious neighborhood in Portland. I don't know. Is it Council Crest? Is it Lake Oswego? I, you pr you may all have your own favorite or your own idea of where the the sweetest and most fancy and lovely and gracious neighborhood in town is. Okay. Now, as you know, if that's your plan, that you want to move into a new neighborhood, you don't just call the moving van, right? It's like, well, when he gets there, where's your stuff going to go, right? There are plans you need to make. There are steps you need to take. Even before, even before you would go to a realtor or someone who's maybe good at finding apartments, right? You might want to do a drive-by. You'd want to drive over to that neighborhood or take the bus over there, scout it out, what part of the neighborhood do you want to live in? Do you want to live closer to the park? Do you want the golf course across the way? Do you want the cul-de-sac with a little privacy? Do you want to be in the woods, right? You'd need to have that picture of, of what it is you want in your own mind before you would even talk to a realtor, before you might even be able to put an offer on a house or, or, or put some money down on an apartment, right? You want to have that picture in your head of exactly what you want. Well, this is what Ernest Holmes calls a mental equivalent. And this is what Pam Grout says is your steps towards newness. So that might be your first step to check out the neighborhood you think you want to move into. 
your next step might be to do some Googling, right? What are the crime statistics? For all I know, maybe there are more robberies than Council Crest. I don't know. I haven't checked it. So you might want to take a look at that. Is mass transit easy to your new neighborhood? Maybe you don't want to drive all the time. Does Max go by there? Is it going to be a handy commute for you? Each of these things would be another step in that journey from Lentz to Council Crest. And sh surely, by, by surely, at some point, right, you would get that apartment, and then you'd schedule the moving ban and so on and so forth. But what happens if one morning you wake up and you say to yourself, good Lord, moving is horrible. Which, by the way, I think most of you have experienced that, right? The packing up the dishes and figuring out, you know, the new utilities and who to call for this. And then, then just even picking out a moving agency, right? You sort of want your friends to help you because it would be cheaper. But the reality is how many of your friends really can show up on a certain day and help you pack, right? Exactly. So, you, so at some point, you might just wake up and say to yourself, oh, my gosh, this is really hard. When you do that, you've just taken a step back towards Lentz. You've just said to yourself, maybe my dream is unattainable, or maybe my dream is too difficult. Maybe you wake up another day and you've, you've done your, your drive up through the new neighborhood, and you've noticed that almost none of the houses up there have garages or easy off-street parking. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, it's lovely to be up on the mountain with a great view, but what if I have a party? There's no place for anyone to park. You've just taken another step back to Lens. Do you see what I'm saying? It's those mixed signals. It's putting out into that attractive energy field things that are incompatible. I want it, but I shouldn't have it. I need it, but it's too difficult. It's beautiful, but I'm not worthy of it. The kinds of mixed messages that we very, very often do every day about the most inconsequential things. This is what actually keeps us from realizing our dreams. It's like two steps forward, and then on any given day, we're just as apt to take two steps back again. Pam Grout says one of the things, if we want to achieve and really use this energy field in a productive way for our own good, is we need to line things up. We need to actually plot that course, and whether it's a course to a new job, whether it's a course to a new love in your life, whether it's a, a course to having more domestic harmony in your existing family arrangement, or, or a course towards more abundance in your life, wishing for it ain't good enough. We actually have to visualize the steps along that path so that we don't get halfway there and then just blow it up with contrary thoughts. I don't know how to do this other than to make a suggestion. And that's to begin really observing your own thinking. Are any of, the, are any of you pretty good at that? A f uh, well, a few of you, all right. My, my suggestion is 
Pick some kind of a topic, and in fact, this is going to be your homework, so you can start thinking towards that. Pick some kind of an area or topic in your life where you'd like to see some improvement, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family situation, whether it's at work, whether it's a new job, or maybe you really do want, maybe some of you live in Lance, I don't know, and I'm not trying to beat up any particular neighborhood, honestly, I haven't lived there before, but maybe you do want to actually make a physical move along those lines. Picture something in your head and then begin mapping out the energetics of it. What would you feel if you already lived there? What would the sense of, of living in the forest be like? What would the new job be like? How would your skills be valued? How would your sense of belonging in a new, in a new company with the new coworkers around you, what would that feel like? What would that look like? All of that is putting into the energy field that sense of, of having it, that sense of belonging to it. And when you do that, it will be irresistible. Um, some of you may be wondering, well, gosh, Larry, these sound like ancient, simple principles that have been around since the beginning of time. Like, why are we where we are now? Like, why haven't we mastered this? And I want to suggest that there are four stumbling blocks here. The first stumbling block is, I would just call it the rut. We're used to putting out that energy that we're used to putting out. We hang out with people that tend to put out that same kind of energy. We're used to feeling the, the same way around our small failures and our ways of life. We're, we're used to identifying with things that are going wrong instead of things that are going right. We have, a, we have an inertia to our lives that tend to bring the same old, same old. If we want to move into something new, we have to begin having the new thoughts. We have to be somewhat ruthless in our own evaluation of what's going on in our head so that we'll get out of that rut, so that we don't just keep inviting something that looks just like yesterday into it. If, if yesterday was your best day on the planet, then, then by all means, invite yesterday to, to happen again. But if there's to be any improvement here, we need to actually change our thought patterns, our, our intellectual and our emotional thought patterns around accepting something greater and more beautiful and more loving and more powerful. The other thing that can stand in the way, I don't know how to say this any better than it's Madison Avenue, it's the media. It is hard to stay in a certain position of belief if there's 40 or 50 magazines and you know news programs and everybody else telling you something different. Um, you know, early in the year, I talked about how safe it is to live in Portland right now. That our actual crime statistics are at a 50-year low. How many people believe that? Well, well, you might believe it because I I told you that. <laughs> But would you believe it if all you were doing was listening to the media and the newspapers? You would think that we were like uh, some, some violent crime nexus on the planet. When we listen, when we overly listen to the media, to the advertising agencies, uh, another example, not long ago, I found out that I can get a prescription medicine, uh, if I go to a doctor, of course, that will help grow my eyelashes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and what was amazing was in the magazine, it was, if you have this problem, 
go to your doctor and maybe whatever, I can't remember the name of it, maybe whatever it is, is right. Do you have this serious eyelash problem? (laughs) And of course, I'm thinking, do I? (laughs) Maybe I do. (laughs) And see, we fall for that. We fall for that. It isn't isn't that we're gullible, but when something appears in a newspaper or on television or God forbid on the internet, do we not just kind of, at least initially, sort of like, oh, ah. (laughs) We need to be able to stand firm in what we want to experience at life. No newspaper ad has the right to tell you that you're anything less than beautiful and perfect. No, no television Fox News program has the right to tell you that you're not safe in your own home. I mean, it's good to know if there was a violent crime. Okay, that's fine. But the idea for many of the news shows is to convey to you how unsafe you are. And you're safe. So we need to stick to what we know is true for us. We need to be able to hold on to what is good and right and beautiful in our own lives. We need to put that energy out so that that energy will come back to us. We need to put out the energy of safety and love, of peace and joy, of the fabulous new job and the wonderful new partner. We need to put out the energy of peace and love and joy so that that will be attracted to us. The other little fly in our ointment, however, that I just have to mention, can be your friends and family. Sometimes they have a vested interest in keeping you pretty much the way you are. They're used to you the way they are. They're used to what they get from you, whether it's emotional support or financial support. They're they're used to you supporting their opinions and vice versa. And so there will be a naturalness for them to be a little upset if Larry suddenly changes a little bit. If Larry suddenly puts out more love than the friends and family are used to, they're going to be like, well, what's up with you? They're going to be up in your face around, why are you changing? Why, why do you suddenly think Portland is so safe? Let me give you the statistics, buddy. <laughs> right? Why are you suddenly so lovey-dovey in this relationships? You know that five out of six marriages end in divorce within three years. <laughs> right? <laughs> And what, <laughs> should, I, should I shut up? Yeah, absolutely. But, but I mean, people, and what I think is amazing is people who actually love you will interrupt your energy field in that way, right? It's, it's not that they're doing it on purpose to mess with you. They love you and they have a sense of who you are. They just don't want it to change. And so if you want to change, just be prepared, right? You can be loving right back to them without being in their face, even if they're a little bit in your face. So those are the main things that can stand in your way. Um, Other people can stand in your way. The rut or inertia of your own life can stand in in your way. Uh, Madison Avenue and the news media can stand in the way. The last thing that can stand in the way, uh, it's the worst. It's you. You have to believe that you're worth having that life. Remember our story of getting from Lentz to Cancel Crest? The real big deal breaker here is, 
I'm not worthy of it. And then suddenly it's like every step forward is just yanked back. If you don't believe that you're worthy of a better job, if you don't believe that you're worthy of living in a nice place, of being around lovely people, of having joy and peace in your life, if there's something in you that says, yeah, but that's just not my experience, that's just not the way my life is, you just undo, it's, it's, it's like back to start again. You've just undone all the steps towards your dream. Ruthless with your own thoughts. Uh, I, I know we like to get to, what, what's the idea? We like to just kind of hang loose. We like to just go with the flow. When you go with the flow, you're going to go with where someone else's flow takes you. When you're hanging loose, you're loose until you bump up against something that's hard. I'm telling you, you actually have to put some forethought and intention into where you want to go if you want to get somewhere on purpose. And so the place to begin, I think, might be our homework for this week. The homework for this week is to ask the divine, and you can call it the field of uh, possibilities like we did last week. We can call it God. You can call it the divine feminine. Doesn't matter what you call it. Just know that it is that energy field that permeates everything that you're connected to. Ask the divine for a concrete expansion of something that you want. Now, you'll notice this is going to trick you into taking those first few steps out of Lent <laughs> and, and to Lake Oswego or Council Crest. You know what I mean? Because to define it, to say what you want to have expanded, to have that idea of something bigger or more beautiful or more loving, that's the first step. That's the very first step into getting there. And as soon as you have defined it, as soon as you have that mental equivalent of what it would be like, what it would feel like, it's going to be irresistible. You'll be in that car or on that bus to explore the new neighborhood. And it might take the form of a new job, right? You'll suddenly start reading about Blue Cross Blue Shield. or Do you know what I mean? As soon as you have the mental equivalent of what you want at the end, the little steps in between magically just one after the other start appearing for you. You'll know what to do if you have the vision. So that's your homework for next week. I want to end with an idea of a new formula. We talked about Einstein's formula, E equals MC squared. I have another one for you. Your desired outcome equals directed thoughts plus emotion. Your desired outcome equals directed thoughts and emotion. So it can't be random thoughts. If you want to have a certain desired outcome, whether it's love or life, whether it's joy or peace, you have to know the direction you're heading, right? You have to have that mental picture of what you want, what it looks like. Even more importantly, perhaps, is how it feels when you have it. Imagine yourself already having the new car or the new job or the new relationship. Imagine that that experience is already yours. Bring up those feelings and then start the directional nature of it. Weed out the thoughts when they come into your mind that you shouldn't have it or that it's too expensive or it's out of line or, or whatever it is. Weed those thoughts out and instead replace them with, yes, I could do this, I could experience that, here's what it feels like, here's my sense of it. 
And when you do that, the universe will do just about anything to bring it to you. You won't have to worry about the hows. You won't have to worry about how much it costs or where it's going to come from. You know, I want to use, in fact, I know I'm supposed to be winding down here, but I want to use one more, I want to use one more example. A friend of me the other day who lives in a, um, a condominium complex, she rents there, and she said, you know, something I've wanted to do for years is just to move to the other side of the complex. Now, we're not talking about going from Lance to Lake Oswego, right? She lives right there in Beaverton. She just wants to be on the other side of the complex, the same building, so that she gets a view of the green space, right? Perfectly reasonable idea. Do you know what? She was going on and on the thousand reasons why that's impossible. She was. She was saying, well, that just means that the building owner is going to have to clean two apartments, me, as I leave, and the, they're not going to do that. And if I go, I know they'll charge more rent, right? Just the fact that I'm moving means they'll probably double my rent. And whether I'm moving across the state or whether I'm moving two doors down, all my stuff has to be packed up. How am I going to accomplish all that? And I'm thinking to myself, why are you even dreaming? Right? Implicit right in the dream are the thousand reasons why you can't. I think we do this all the time. I think we actually do this about our love affairs, about our housing arrangements, about our jobs, about our friends and our families. I think we do it all the time. Let us end that nonsense and go for it. I'm going to close today with a final quote from Pam Grout here. And what I think is interesting, although the book is mostly secular, every now and then she'll have a quote um, or, or, or something out of the Bible. And I love this one. She says, one of the reasons that Jesus was crucified was that those in command thought he was altogether too confident. How dare he be so bold as to think that he could make a crippled person walk or a leper dance but Jesus didn't just think he could do these things. He knew the truth of who he was. It made his mind like a laser with his thoughts. He didn't stop to question if a blind man could see or if water could become wine. He knew he had the ability to command the heavens and the earth. And in fact, that's the only big difference between Jesus and you. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence. There is one life, one love. Whether you call it the field of possibilities, as Pam Graft does, or whether you call it God, I know it is in full force on this day that this energy field extends everywhere, including my own body, my own life. And for my own part, I know that there is... A, a supreme confidence in me to claim my good, to recognize in my own life the sweetness that I wish to have, the, the joy, the love that is mine. And as I put out that energy, as I have that sense of already feeling those things, my world opens up in love. 
And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the capability of that same level of energy, that same command, if you will, to bring about the better life simply by imagining it, understanding it, and accepting it in their own heart. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for this awareness. I'm grateful for being here every Sunday in the presence of God as it takes the form of all of these people and beyond. And so I let it be. I release this prayer. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.